This is Marathon Training Academy, episode 310. Welcome to the Marathon Training Academy podcast, where we empower and inspire you to run a marathon and change your life. I'm Trevor. And I'm Angie. In this episode, Angie talks about what it takes to achieve a massive goal in your running. Plus, she answers questions sent in by Academy members about her 50-state marathon journey. And of course, you can get the empowerment and motivation to go the distance inside the Academy. You can learn about membership as well as our amazing coaches over at MarathonTrainingAcademy.com. So Angie, how was your workout today? It was good. It was one of those runs where I had to force myself to go out the door. People may be surprised that even though I love to work out, there are some days where I'm not really feeling it. I'm surprised to hear that, actually. (laughs) But I know that if I get out and exercise, I will feel better. So this morning I was like, just go out for three miles, and if you're not feeling it, then you can stop. But of course, at three miles, I was feeling better and went on to run 10K. <laughs> Those three miles are usually the worst, aren't they? They are. They are. So I felt good, came back and did a strength training workout. So it went well. I would ask how your workout went, but I know you haven't worked out yet today. So It is true. It's 1 p.m. and I haven't done anything. Anyway, so what's going on out there, Angie, in MTA land? Well, of course, we have lots of people who are accomplishing their goals, which is so exciting to hear about. This note comes in from Kirsten. She says, hi, Angie and Trevor. I've been listening to your podcast for a few years, and I even got my boyfriend to listen with me. We got inspired to train for our first ever marathon, which we never thought we could do. We both ended up finishing in four hours, 28 minutes, and 24 seconds. Thank you guys for everything. We love the podcast. Thank you for that note, Kirsten. Glad you guys found the podcast. And congrats on completing your first marathon. This email came in from Laura. She says, hi there. I started listening to MTA in the fall of 2019 while training for my first marathon, which was Walt Disney World in Orlando in January. Fortunately, my marathon went really well, and I managed to run 10 minutes under my BQ time. She says, I was listening to Angie's race recap of the Revel Coolia Marathon this morning and heard one of the listener emails about the Disney Marathon. I was surprised to hear the listener's finish time of 3.24.40 because it was almost identical to my first time, 3.24.40. I think she's referring to Mitch uh, in the Academy because that's the email we read. That's right. She says, I checked my photos and indeed we had crossed the finish line at almost the same time. Small world. Thanks guys for all the helpful training tips. I'm looking forward to many more marathons in my future, including Boston 2021. Well, maybe we'll see you there. That's right. That would be awesome. And it's so cool. I was just thinking like, you never know when you're running a race, how many people are MTA listeners. You could cross the finish line with one and not even know it. I do have a strange story. This comes from back in the day. And I suggested that when you're out there running in the heat and you're too tired to wave at a runner or nod when a fellow runner comes by, just grunt. I call it the runner's grunt. (laughs) And then tell them what happened after that, Angie. Well, I think someone tried it and they grunted at another runner. And the person was like, hey, you did the runner's grunt. Is that from the MTA podcast? Yeah. (laughs) It was down in Australia. (laughs) Two people connected over the runner's grunt. (laughs) I can't believe it. I should not be trusted with this much power. Use it wisely, please. (laughs) 
Good stuff. What else do you got for us? Well, this note comes from Brian in the Academy. He says, hello, Angie. Since I first listened to you and Trevor, the information on the MTA podcast has benefited me with my goals of losing 50 pounds, done, wow. completing a marathon, done, and now striving to do a sub three-hour marathon, he says, one day. Of all the episodes, my favorite is Marathon Pacing Strategies with Coach Stephen Walden. Even when listening to that episode 10 plus times, I still find ways or mantras to use on my runs and races. 10 plus times. That's got to be a record. (laughs) He really loves that episode. The camaraderie of the MTA community continues to make me feel included and motivated to achieve more than I could dream of when my journey began three years ago. And that comes from Brian. That's awesome, Brian. Thank you for the update and good luck as you're striving toward a sub three marathon. That's huge. And good thing on this episode, we're going to talk about going after massive goals in one's health and life. So yeah, keep up the great work. This next email comes from John. It's a little bit longer than some, but it's a really cool story, so I wanted to share it. He says, My story isn't glamorous, and I suspect I'm not the first one with a story like this. I completed my first marathon on Sunday, the day after Angie's 50th, on nearby Maui. I began training in February of 2019, and I'm turning 50 this year, and I realize that I've had goals that were sitting without progress, including losing weight and reversing type 2 diabetes. I have no problem with starting a big goal, but finishing it is another matter entirely. I'm competitive, so I figured that an audacious goal, such as running a marathon, seemed like a good way to help me be more consistent in my training and diet. I'm not new to running as I ran cross country in high school 30 years and 70 pounds ago, so I had a pretty good idea of what I was getting myself into. The first weeks were challenging, but the excitement of the task drove me on and carried me through. After a few months, however, it became much harder. I was struggling with motivation. Why was I doing this? And was this really such a big accomplishment at all since I was so slow? I made it harder on myself by comparing myself to others and to my 1987 self. I went searching for motivation and found your podcast. I don't remember exactly the order of events, but I found a giant piece of wisdom that you kept repeating in different ways. Run your own race. The episode with Susan Lakey stands out in my mind, too. So does the one with Angie's sister, who also had to overcome comparing herself to previous years. I binge listened to a few dozen episodes, many of my long runs, and the many lessons that I learned helped me on race day this past Sunday. When I got sick for several weeks leading up to the race, I remember you talking about how things don't always set up perfectly, but to set reasonable expectations like A, B goals and run your own race. When I struggled at mile 20, I switched to the Galloway method, also mentioned on your show. I wasn't meeting my A goal of finishing strong, but I would meet my B goal of finishing. And technically, it was a PR. So thanks for the help that your podcast provides. Now that my first one is in the books, I look forward to setting some new running goals in 2020. But for now, the next few days are all about enjoying all that I've learned about myself along the way. And then he says, by the way, has anyone ever mentioned how great Hawaii is as a post-race place to recover? Many thanks, John. I think a couple people have actually mentioned that. (laughs) We concur. That's right. We were on a different island, of course, but yeah, recovering in Hawaii doesn't get much better than that. So congrats, John, on getting back into running. It's so awesome to hear that a marathon has become a catalyst for you to get back in shape. And I'm glad the podcast has been a help to you. So cheers to you and your running journey. And just all of you out there listening who are pursuing some kind of goal this year, it could be that you're training for your first marathon. That is a huge task. We know how daunting it feels uh, when you run those new distances, like the first time you do a 16-miler or a 20-miler. Still oh, to this yeah. day, it's a long way to run for me, 20 miles. <laughs> That's right. I procrastinate that as long as I can. <laughs> and uh, 
No, but maybe you've already done some marathons and now you've got a number that you're working toward, like a sub four hour marathon, or maybe you've got some other huge goal. As you guys know that listen to our last episode, Angie just finished running a marathon in every state. So we thought we would just kind of go back and deconstruct this goal and look for ways in which it can be helpful to you guys that are pursuing your own personal running goal. And we also have some awesome questions sent in by members about what it was like for her to uh, accomplish this, some of her favorite races, some of the high and low points. So let's go ahead and jump into that right now. Well on my way, well on my way. So for some people, dreaming big seems to come as naturally as breathing. I kind of think of you, Trevor, when I say that. Oh, thanks. <laughs> and that type of person is always thinking about the next adventure or the challenge they want to take on. But I think there is some people who will relate to me. And there's some of us who struggle with anxiety and self-doubt when it comes to setting goals. It's maybe a harder process. I have to admit that my first thought after hearing about a big goal or challenge is sometimes I could never do that. That actually goes through my mind. And that's actually how I responded to two ladies who were telling me about the requirements to join the Marathon Maniacs Club. So this was a few years ago. It was the morning before my fourth marathon in Washington State. And I was thinking back about how challenging it had been to train for the marathon with a six-year-old boy, a four-year-old boy, and an eight-month-old baby who I was still breastfeeding. Just getting through daily life at that time seemed like a challenge, which is why my reaction to doing two marathons in two weeks or three marathons in 90 days seemed impossible. You know, I honestly thought I could never become a marathon maniac because... Who has the time? Who has the time? You know, it was so much just to train for this one marathon here that it kind of like blew my mind. Now, of course, when I look back nine years later, I see how it was all possible, how all the pieces came together. And after I finished three marathons that fall within the 90 days and became a marathon maniac, it definitely reset my definition of what was possible. It wasn't long after that that the idea of running a marathon in all 50 states started to take shape in my mind. And I'll be honest, some years it felt like I was hardly making any progress at all toward my 50-state goal. And when I went through my hormonal imbalance, I wondered if I'd ever feel good and enjoy running again because my body was so out of whack. Yeah, I was just looking at your marathon PRs. Your PR that you set in, I think it was 2012 when you ran 335, I forget the seconds. 41. Yeah, at the Kentucky Derby Marathon. That was in 2012. And then you didn't set another PR again until last year. Yeah, the fall of 2019. So that was a seven-year span in between. Yeah, it felt like a long dry spell and, you know, I didn't have any guarantee that I would ever run faster again. So you just never know. And I think maybe a lot of people in our audience have maybe thought or said, I could never do that. Maybe at this point, a half marathon or a marathon or an ultra or even getting faster seems out of reach. So you're not alone if you feel intimidated by big goals. Or maybe you don't have a problem setting big goals like the letter we read from John, you know, he says he's set big goals before, but then following through with them was really difficult. Maybe you've abandoned a training plan midway through because life got in the way. Maybe you've settled for not getting faster because it just takes a lot of hard work and you've had setbacks and injuries or just stuff that has come up. So I know, you know, that we're talking to a diverse audience of runners out there and, and people go through stuff in life and it can really affect your training for sure. So I believe that having short-term and long-term goals is positive and healthy. 
And if you want to challenge yourself to do bold things, it's really important to look at a few factors. The first one is to think big, but to start small. When I first started running long distance, the thought of even doing one marathon was overwhelming. And running a marathon in all 50 states wasn't even on my radar. So like Trevor said earlier, running that first 16 mile run, the first 18 miler, the first 20 miler, I remember that felt like a huge, huge deal. Just getting through those, I, I really felt like I had a secret superpower, even though I wasn't that fast. I just remember what it felt like to run that far. And, you know, the thought of doing 26.2 still seemed incredibly daunting. So I guess my point is with every challenge that you overcome, you become a new and stronger version of yourself, a person that's capable of taking on more. So remember that the training run you do today is working to make you into the badass runner that you want to be in the future. It's like, you know, I didn't really feel like getting out for my run this morning, but I knew that if I got out there, it would help me become stronger mentally and physically. And I definitely was happy that I did. And things like doing strength work and getting more sleep are things that are going to help transform you from accomplishing small things into eventually accomplishing much more. We did an episode a couple of years back called Future You versus Present You. And the basic idea was that future you will be so thankful if you go out, present you, goes out and does your run today or does your cross training today. Exactly. And sometimes you just have to do the thing, even if you don't feel like doing the thing. <laughs> That's just life, right? Yeah, exactly. We keep trying to tell our kids that. <laughs> Another factor to remember is that you are capable of more than you think. And it's totally fine if a certain goal that everyone else, quote unquote, everyone else is doing doesn't appeal to you. I've had people ask me when I'm going to do a 100 miler. And at this point, the distance doesn't really appeal to me. I'm not, you know, saying never, I'm never going to do a 100 miler because it's a very real possibility that I will. But at this point in my life, I just don't feel like I have the drive and the motivation to do it. It just doesn't really make sense to me right now. You really have to have that internal why before you take on a big challenge. And whatever goal that you set, remember that your mind is still going to be a battleground, whether you're running your first 5K or you're running your 63rd marathon. You're going to have all sorts of interesting things running through your head, many of which aren't helpful. And that's just the fact of it, you know, whether you've been running your whole life or you just started running this week. Yeah. Along with this point, we often like to say that most of our limitations are self-imposed. And you'd be surprised at the people that run marathons, folks that have overcome just tremendous setbacks in their health, like the email that you read from John, where he talks about reversing his type 2 diabetes. I mean, when you and I started running, we were young. We didn't have any of those kind of health problems. We actually had it easier than a lot of folks that we see who have gotten into the marathon journey and are doing well at this long distance running thing. Yeah, that's right. And it's, it's always exciting to see people running through health challenges who are older than the stereotypical marathoner you would think of. You know, people are running their first marathons in their 70s and 80s. So like you said, a lot of our limitations are in our mind. And if you believe that you're capable of something, chances are that you are, and you're going to figure out a way to do it. I think the third factor that is important to keep in mind is that it's important to be farsighted and nearsighted. So you want to look ahead into the future, look at that big goal, but you also need to be looking in front of you. Um, kind of a trail running analogy. Any trail runner knows that it's important to pay attention to the path in front of you. You get too caught up in the scenery, looking around, and you're liable to trip on a root, a rock, a hole, and end up falling. But if you don't take time to look around and appreciate the view, then you're also not getting all that you could get out of the experience. 
So it's kind of the same with goal setting. It's important to look ahead and to plan and to keep an eye out for obstacles in front of you, but it's equally important to look around and appreciate how far you've come. Um, I think one way you can enjoy the journey is to appreciate the little victories, or if we stick with the trail running analogy, the vistas, you know, you get to a point and look around, enjoy how far you've come. We often expect the finish line or the end of a big goal to be some sort of nirvana, you know, like some state like, I have arrived, the angels are singing. But truly, the most meaningful moments come along the way as you struggle, as you celebrate the little wins, and as you continue to grow in strength and resilience. And I think one of the interesting things about racing is that you never know if your best race is behind you or if it's still ahead of you. When I think about running sub 320, there's always the thought that I'm capable of more. But life can be unpredictable, and there are many things that we can't control. We can only show up day after day and do our best. And, you know, since since I've run my 50th state, I've heard from a lot of women who are over the age of 40 who found it to be really inspiring because it's good for them to know that we can go through ups and downs in our running, in our life, in our health, and we can still be capable of running PR times in our 40s and beyond. You know, I'm always inspired by people who are running amazing, amazing times, setting records. I guess, you know, one exciting thing about the area of running is we keep seeing records falling. We keep seeing people who are pushing themselves to accomplish more than they thought they could in the past. And it's just really exciting time to be part of the running community because there's inspiration and motivation all around us. Yeah. So what we're trying to say is you can be more of a badass in your 40s, 50s, 60s, perhaps, than you were in your 20s and 30s. And the great thing about it is you'll appreciate it more, too. (laughs) You know, a lot of things that we accomplished when we were young, we just took it for granted. Like, oh, yeah, I have a young, strong, healthy body. Of course, I'm going to do this. But when you get older, you have the wisdom to know that it's not a guarantee. And plus, I think the older you get and the wiser you get, I think the better you can endure mentally because you've dealt with so much crap in life by the time. (laughs) You get to be in your 50s that I just think you've got a mental advantage over your younger self. Don't you think so? I would say definitely. I've gotten more stubborn as I've gotten older. (laughs) Well, since we're talking about pursuing big goals, I want to play a little soundbite from a listener to the podcast who actually lives locally. Her name is Karen Hendricks. She came over for a visit and wanted to check out our podcast studio because she's going to be starting a podcast of her own. So we were talking and... She'd mentioned this awesome goal that she's working on this year. And I thought, hey, let's just record it because it fits nicely with the episode. So I'll play that soundbite for you with fellow runner and MTA listener, Karen Hendricks. Hey, hey, we are here in the secret MTA basement studio. With a special guest, Karen Hendricks. She is a writer for The Berg. She is running 50 races for charity to celebrate her 50th birthday. Karen, how are you doing? I'm well, Trevor. Thanks for having me. Well, first of all, you have been listening to the podcast since before we moved here. The podcast helped me accomplish my first marathon, which was the Harrisburg Marathon in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, two years ago. That's awesome. And I was so grateful to have all the resources um, that you guys bring to the podcast. And so then you heard us talk about moving to Carlisle. I did. 
And I said, wow, they're close by. That's amazing. And uh, you decided to do a story on us for the Berg, which we are very honored. First of all, what is the Berg? So the Berg is um, a wonderful community magazine based in Harrisburg, hence Hence the the Berg. (laughs) We have a lot of Bergs in Pennsylvania. We do have a good number. So you have to designate. So we are um, based in Harrisburg, but we actually cover um, a lot of central Pennsylvania, nine counties, um, and just a wonderful community magazine with a newspaper feel, very in-depth feature stories, you know, kind of these hidden gems in our community. And I felt like you and Angie were one of those hidden gems. Unless people listen to the MTA podcast, they wouldn't know that you were located in the Harrisburg area broadcasting to a worldwide audience. (laughs) Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, it's an honor to be featured in the Berg. And you are pursuing this amazing goal. We've been talking about goals a lot lately. Uh, So tell folks about what you decided to do to Uh, celebrate turning 50. Yeah, I think these milestone birthdays are a great chance to kind of evaluate your goals and set new goals um, for yourself. And I'm a very average runner, but I feel like even average people can do extraordinary things. And I'm not saying what I'm doing is extraordinary, but I felt like Turning 50 was an opportunity to kind of give back and just be grateful for the life I've been given, the ability to run. So I started thinking about what I could do with that. And Mm -hmm. I just kept hitting on this idea to do 50 of something. And (laughs) I thought, why not do 50 races, which is basically one a weekend for the next year while I am 50. Yep. And make sure that they all designate um, or benefit a wonderful charity or cause or person as a result. And so it really kind of puts purpose in my footsteps. And I've really enjoyed it thus far. I turned 50 in September, so I'm a few months into it. Um, I just had my 20th um, race as we're recording this. So Are these races typically like 5Ks? or one-milers, or what are they? Yeah, I did one one one-miler, which was a lot of fun. For the most part, most of the races are 5Ks, but I've done a couple 10Ks, a couple five-milers, and I launched it with a half marathon. So I'm throwing in some other distances, but by and large, they're mostly um, 5Ks. And are you able to find the races in our area? I mean, I know there is a lot of races around the Harrisburg area, but or have you had to kind of travel out and about to uh, find 50 races with a charity emphasis? Actually, our region of Pennsylvania has some amazing running communities, and I've been very lucky to find a lot of local races that benefit great charities. For example, one that comes to mind, um, the Arthritis Run. They do a Jingle Bell Run nationally every year on one particular weekend, um, and we had a local, we had several actually, several local options for that. So I did one of the Jingle Bell Runs um, in Harrisburg to benefit the Arthritis Foundation in December. But it's also special to get out of the region and do some special things, too. I've done a few destination races to benefit causes just because it's fun to travel and run, too. So just as an example of one of the races that you're going to be doing coming up, it's actually a race that you go up stairs up in a skyscraper, right? That's right. So I'm going to do the Fight for Air Climb in New York City the first weekend of April. And you actually go up um, an 
an actual skyscraper in New York City. Simultaneously, there are other races taking place throughout the country that are also fight for air climbs because Mm. they all benefit the American Lung Association, which is a great cause, obviously. So my um, particular run in New York is 849 steps um, and 44 floors in the building. Um, It's a skyscraper. It's uh, one block from Radio City Music Hall right in Midtown Manhattan. Nice. And uh, so obviously we don't have to worry about the weather. Um, The race goes on and they have all kinds of stages. Obviously, you would have to control the people and the number of runners um, going up. At noontime, they changed the whole format of the race, and firefighters actually participate, and they have this whole New York City firefighter challenge going on. Wow. And you get to take the elevator down, I suppose, right? I sure hope so. (laughs) (laughs) No, but another great cause um, and a lot of fun and spinning it into a fun weekend in New York City while I'm there. Well, what an epic way to celebrate your 50th birthday. I thought it was a brilliant idea, great way to support charity and you know continue on a quest as a runner. So there's an idea for you folks. 50 races. doesn't have to be marathons. They can be shorter races. And you'd be surprised at how many you can find in your local area. Thank you, Karen, for sharing your goal with us. And we wish you continued success. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Well, now we want to get into some questions sent in from Academy members. But first, we'd like to give a big word of thanks to this episode's sponsor, MetPro. We really appreciate them being a sponsor of the podcast and just the awesome work that they've been doing. As you guys know, Angie's been working with one of their nutrition coaches, as well as your sister. Yeah, that's right. I've been able to work with uh, Coach Natalie for over a year now. It's been fabulous in terms of fat loss, body recomposition, and of course, helping me meet my marathon goals. I don't think my recent PRs would have been possible for sure if I hadn't been able to get my macros lined out and had the support and guidance from MetPro. So it's been fabulous. And yeah, my sister Autumn, she started working with them about two months ago. She's already lost 15 pounds. It's awesome. And I can just see how it has affected her running. I mean, we run together about once a week and she is like charging up hills that she was previously walking her pace has increased and also just her mindset too she's like oh I think I want to do a marathon this spring and you know it's like once you start feeling good and getting some of that necessary weight off you start really looking forward to what's possible and just feeling really good about your body again so definitely if you're interested in changing your body composition or even just athletic performance MetPro and their team of coaches can help you just take your nutrition to the next level that's right just go to MetPro.co, that's a .co, not a .com, forward slash MTA, you can get a consultation call with them, see if it's a good fit, see if the program is right for you. We've seen it do wonders for Angie and her sister and other listeners of the podcast. We're big fans, MetPro.co forward slash MTA. All right, Angie, you ready for some questions? You ready to get grilled? First question is from Greg. He says, what was the hardest, the easiest, and the most enjoyable marathon? Which one would you do again? I would say the hardest would have to be the Leadville Trail Marathon in Colorado because, of course, it starts at 10,000 feet and it only goes up from there. So it goes up to like 12,500 feet. So just even breathing if you're not used to that kind of elevation is extremely challenging. And then, of course, throw a marathon on top of that. And the easiest There's no easy marathon, right? (laughs) Yeah. All marathons are 
uniquely challenging in their own way. I would say some of the quote unquote easiest ones are ones that I was in the flow and it just felt really good and my effort seemed to be less. Like the foot traffic flat marathon in Oregon, I just had an amazing day and surprised myself with my fitness level. It was the first time I qualified for Boston. I just looked down at my watch and it was like, I can't believe I'm running these paces and I don't even feel it kind of thing. So I would say that was an easy one. I remember the first time I did the Marine Corps marathon and I ran that with my sister Autumn and I was just like so in the moment of like helping her, encouraging her along, enjoying the sights that it was like the marathon passed by so quickly and it was just like, wow, that was amazing. (laughs) Which one do you look forward to doing again someday? The Boston Marathon, of course, I am looking forward to doing again. I would run Marine Corps Marathon again for sure. Um, The Wine Glass Marathon, that's another one I want to do again. That's in Corning, New York, Wine Glass Marathon. This question's from Maria. She says, how old were your children when you started this journey and how did you balance it all? Yeah, that's a great question. When I ran my first marathon, it was in 2008. So our oldest son was four and our youngest son was, he was maybe one years old when I really started training. So yeah, they were young and I definitely worked my training around your work schedule at the time because you worked away from home at that point in time. So in order to get my runs in, I often had to do them really early in the morning before you left for work. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of just always been part of my life, fitting in my marathon training. So I would say my kids are very used to seeing me um, either running or doing some kind of exercise. I remember coming back from long runs, you know, laying on the floor stretching, and they would be like right there stretching with me or climbing all over me. (laughs) The second part of her question is, did the kids come with you to the races? They did in the beginning when they were really young. We would often travel as a family to the marathons, and my mom would come along as much as she could so that Trevor could run the race as well. And so she would watch our kids when they were young. However, once they got to be older, um, middle school, now high school, it's a lot more challenging just to pull them out of school for any length of time. And so as the journey continued, I would do, you know, some races, travel to them by myself. And then sometimes Trevor and I will go to races by ourselves. So they have maybe been to, I don't know what the percentage would be, maybe 50% of my races. Yeah, I'd say about half of them. In the beginning, we went to all the races together. We'd have the kids out of school so much that we eventually got a letter from the truancy officer. <laughs> None of them ever fell behind, but once they got older and school got more difficult and more challenging, we, uh, we just couldn't afford to take them out of school at all. So yeah, that's right. And some people were thinking, okay, like the races that our kids went to, they're like on the sidelines with big signs saying, go mommy, we're proud of you. Like, no, that was not, (laughs) that was not part of the picture at all. Um, usually the kids would stay in the hotel room with grandma or Trevor and I would run the race and, you know, meet them somewhere. There's maybe a couple of times they were at the finish line um, after I finished. It wasn't like really that big of a deal to them that I finished a marathon. They were more interested in eating my snacks that I had gotten. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we try to be at the finish line and Angie would come across and it's not like the kids would like run up and you're an amazing mommy. You just ran that far. Instead, they'd be like, hmm, can I have part of your granola bar? <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to eat those chips? <laughs> we have three boys. Yeah. I guess the analogy I would use is that I think my kids were so young when I started doing this marathon thing. It's basically like my job. They see running 
and traveling to races. It's kind of like me going on a business trip. So, I mean, they miss me while I'm gone to a certain extent, but it's a normal part of their life. And it's not really like that exciting to them. Like, oh, my mom goes and runs marathons a lot of weekends. That's just what she does. And so just like some other people's moms travel for work, that's kind of the way they see it, I think. And we'd try to make it fun. We would go to somewhere in the area if there was something cool to see. A lot of times, if there wasn't much to see, we would just go see the state capitol. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) And a lot of those buildings are really amazing. And in many, many states, many, many places, we stayed at the Drury Hotel. Those are nice hotels, and they always have like popcorn and drinks at night. And most of them have a swimming pool, so the kids would go swim. And so that was a huge blessing along the way is to be able to stay at the Drury. And it just kind of became our home away from home. In fact, if we're traveling somewhere, our youngest son will still say, are we going to stay at a Drury? And if we say, no, buddy, there's not one in that area, he'll be like, oh. <laughs> yeah, even when we're pulling a camper behind us, are we staying at the Drury? Uh, no, we have our camper. <laughs> what would be the point of that? I think they have now over 150 locations, over 25 states. And by the way, they support the podcast. You can get 15% off of your stay if you use our special handy dandy link. I think also the code MTA might work, but use our link on our website, save 15% off of your stay at the Drury Hotel. That's right. Here's another good question from Maria, and I think she's working on her 50 states. She wants to know, Angie, how did you choose which order you completed the states? And did you try to get a certain number of races per year? Did you incorporate vacation and sightseeing as part of the trips? Yeah, that's a great question. When I first started a marathon journey, we were living in the state of Missouri. And fortunately, we lived kind of in the boot heel of Missouri. So we had several states surrounding us within close driving distance. So in the beginning, it was very much about like, oh, what state can we drive to in this weekend and get in? So it was kind of more about location, I think, and seeing how many that we could get to around where we lived without having to make major trips. And then a lot of summers, we would take a trip west to visit family members. We'd always think, oh, how can we incorporate some races along the way? How can we get to a new state? So yeah, it was very interesting. Of course, once I got to all the ones around where we lived, then we had to be more intentional about getting to certain places that, you know, you really have to like go there on purpose. But yeah, I mean, some of them I had to fly to by myself, you know, some of them were family trips. We always would try to incorporate something fun in it if we took the kids with us, like Trevor mentioned earlier, or, you know, see what the area had to offer. So I'll give you an example. The first time that we pulled a camper across the U.S., we needed to go to California for my cousin's wedding, but you hadn't run a marathon in California yet. So you got on Marathon Guide or wherever to try to find a race that fit in that window of time we were going to be in California. And you found this little kind of obscure, poorly organized race. 50K, actually. <laughs> yeah, it ended up being a 50K called Shadow of the Giants 50K. It's in the California Redwoods south of Yosemite. So we pulled the camper out to Southern California, took the kids to Disneyland, went to the beach, then cruised on up to Yosemite. Angie did a race. Next day, we went into the park. And after that, we went on Highway 1 up the California coast, all the way up through Northern California, all the way up through the coast of Oregon. Eventually came to Washington State, where my parents live, stayed with them a little while, and then came back through Montana, where you did another marathon, the Madison Marathon, near Madison, Montana. And did you do any other marathons on that trip? I don't remember. 
I think it was just those two. Okay. So, you know, within the space of maybe four weeks, it wasn't uncommon if we were on a trip to do, you know, a couple marathons or a marathon and a 50K and just all part of the puzzle. And, you know, some people are better, were better about planning. I know people who, especially if they had a time frame they wanted to complete their 50 states in, they were more organized about planning out long term. But the fact that, you know, I didn't really want to disrupt my family schedule that much. I wanted to kind of make it more of an organic part of life. So I probably would only plan ahead maybe like six months at a time for some of my races, other than, you know, the big ones that you had to get in the lottery for or apply for ahead of time. So it was very much about like fitting in races when I could, where I could. And yes, it made for some interesting marathons, kind of some obscure ones that definitely added to the experience for sure. Just not big city marathons that everyone knows about. Here's a question from Lee. What is your advice for achieving such a long-term goal, especially one that spans years and years? I imagine it can seem like an uphill battle when the finish is so far away. Yeah, I think it's important to have both long-term and short-term goals. Like I kind of mentioned earlier, while I had this big 50-state goal in mind, I knew it would be a multi-year project. Um, I didn't know exactly how long it would take me in the beginning. So, And I also had shorter-term goals along the way as well. So they kind of went hand-in-hand. It wasn't like I put all the focus on the 50-state goal um, there were a lot of a lot of things that I did along the way, and I guess I just tried not to focus too hard on being done with it and the finish line um, so that I could enjoy the journey. I think it can be really motivating to have long-term goals as long as your entire focus is not just like on finishing, like I got to get this done, like life will be better or different somehow once it's done. If you can just really look at it as enjoying the journey and just soaking up as much living as you can as you're pursuing that goal. So John says, what is the most useful piece of advice you wish you knew at marathon number one that you learned during your 50 state quest? Well, I feel like at marathon number one, I knew nothing Like I had to learn everything the hard way, whether it was (laughs) fueling or nutrition or cross training, injury prevention. It was, I was a complete beginner when I started. And so through the years, obviously I've grown as a person. I've been able to develop new mental skills, emotional skills, physical skills. So it would be hard to like pinpoint like one exact thing that I've learned from marathon one to marathon 63 now. But I would say that as you continue to take on challenges and do hard things, you just become a stronger person. You become more resilient. And I don't think I realized when I was training for marathon number one how strong I was and how much I was capable of. And it's really just helped me in life because pursuing a long-term goal like this, there's just a lot a lot of living that you have to do along the way. And um, the skills that we can develop as long-distance runners translate into other things that you'll face, other challenges that you'll have to overcome along the way. So I just think that the mental strength and resilience that you build through the process of marathon training is probably the most valuable thing that you learn along the way. Okay, this question is from Jill from Washington. She says, now that you aren't striving for a specific goal, what race do you want to do? (laughs) Well, I always have goals. I'm still working on my marathon majors 
marathons since I've got two more of those to do. So I need to run the New York City Marathon and the Tokyo Marathon. So I'm like still working on that goal. And I would say that I do want to run the races that I run. It's not like anywhere on the 50 state journey. It was like, oh, I have to run this race. I don't want to do it. That's good because the next question was from Terry and she says, how did you avoid the feeling of, oh, it's just another marathon? Well, I think the process of running a marathon is a big deal every time, no matter how many you've run. And I guess I would just focus on the uniqueness of it, maybe getting to travel to a new state or just the logistical challenges. I mean, I I still always get nervous getting to the starting area and worrying about you know, if I'm going to make it there or not, fortunately, all my worrying has been in vain so far. But I think each race is so unique. And each marathon can teach you something about yourself that I, I stay curious about what a race is going to teach me. And I think that's what keeps it from getting old and stale. I'm like, oh, it's just another marathon that I've got to do. Here's a question I just thought of that might be helpful. Where did you find all these marathons, Angie? <laughs> They found me. No. The Marathon Yellow Pages. <laughs> right. Yeah, some great sites to look um, for marathons. I use marathonguide.com a lot. Um, another good one is runninginthusa.com. For shorter distance races, there's like active.com. But for marathons, if you really want to dial in on those. And of course, you just hear about races from people and then you Google it and you're like, oh, yeah, that looks really cool. <laughs> Niall from Ireland, Angie, he asks, is there anything about the 50 states that you would do differently looking back? Hmm. Angie doesn't live her life in regret. Yeah, I, I don't think that I would do anything differently looking back. Which races or race were you out there and thought, I have chosen poorly? <laughs> Usually it had to do with the weather, which the race cannot control at all. If it was an unseasonably hot day, then I thought, why do I have this hobby? You know, like, why couldn't I have found an easier hobby? Um, so there have definitely been races where I felt like mentally low and, you know, maybe I've gotten to mile 20 and I'm like, oh, I'm just not feeling this. I want it to be over because I'm, I'm in pain and maybe my head is not where it needs to be. There has been marathons where I've promised myself, just get to the finish line and then you never have to run another marathon again. But of course, then you get to the finish line and that sense of accomplishment and maybe a little bit of euphoria and relief <laughs> all mixes in. I thought you were going to say something like these little races where you just ran around a one mile loop over and over and over. <laughs> yeah, those are not my favorite for sure. But it teaches you something. Maybe it teaches you that you don't like small looped races, <laughs> but it also teaches you that if you need to, that you can endure running multiple laps around a, a short course if you have to. Okay. I think basically what we're hearing is that running a marathon is such an awesome accomplishment and it feels so great when you finish, you feel like such a winner that there's no least favorite marathon that emerges in Angie's mind. Yeah, I can't like point back to one and think, I wish I had not done that event. Exactly. You know, it's, I maybe tend to have somewhat of a unique personality. Like I'm an introvert. So being in my head for long periods of time is fine. I don't need like entertainment or crowd support, crowd support or stimulation or people there encouraging me on. I just kind of carry a lot of internal 
motivation. And so it's fine if people prefer larger races or more crowd support, or, you know, they prefer to have their family or friends there cheering them on. That's, I'm not saying that's not um, a good and motivating thing, you know, so you kind of have to know yourself. Like for me, you know, it doesn't matter if no one shows up to cheer me on, I'm still gonna be happy and um, enjoy myself as much as possible and, and be proud of myself. Okay, this question is from Kathleen from Georgia. She says, how did you document all your experiences? Well, I think I know the answer, Angie, because we should tell all the listeners about the MTA podcast. That's how we documented it. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Well, yeah, we will say that since we started the podcast back in 2010, we have pretty much documented my entire journey through episodes and blog posts on our website since then. Of course, my first and second marathons, I really didn't document. And then there was one, the Indianapolis Monumental Marathon. I don't know, for some reason, we never did anything yeah, there's a couple that we didn't do any kind of recap, either podcast episode or blog post, but most of them we did something and they're all actually linked together on the website. You can go to race recap in the categories in the tab on a website, or there's this map where if you click on the state, it'll link out to where that blog post is. So yeah, it's been fun to be able to take you guys on this journey to document it. The second part of Kathleen's question is, are there any plans for a book? Well, I guess if we um, came across the right publisher to partner with. I guess the most important question is, is there enough interest from potential readers? Is there enough interest from you guys, our podcast listeners? Because we don't want to go through all the work to write a book that no one's going to care to read, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it would be cool just for the sake of posterity to have a book. But it's definitely something that would have to have an audience and, and a publisher. So yeah, maybe. Maybe. Well, big thanks to everyone that sent in a question. And if you want to look at some of those old race recaps from Angie's 50-state marathon journey, just go to marathontrainingacademy.com. Look for this episode. I will have that marathon map where you can click the link and see which races she did in which states. And most of the races do have a race recap and pictures and some of them, some of the newer ones, you can still hear those podcast episodes. Of course, inside the Academy for members, you can get all of our back podcast episodes going back to episode one, which we produced February of 2010. We're coming up on our 10-year podcasting anniversary. And to celebrate this, we've been collecting short interviews with listeners who have been tuning in since the very beginning. So I got two special guys that I want you to hear from who've been listening to the podcast since we started. So check this out. All right, I'm here in Carlisle, my hometown, with uh, Tim Wickard, and we are in this uh, beautiful conference room at where he works. I just stopped by for a moment to say hi. Tim, how are you doing this morning? I'm well. Good morning. It was interesting because once we moved to this area, you reached out and you said, hey, I've been listening since episode three, which is amazing. And also your wife is a music teacher, and she has taught my kids uh, in school here. So small world. I mean, episode three, what, what led you to listen to the podcast back in the day? Well, I was looking for podcasts at the time. I was just new to the podcasts at, at that point. I think in time. everybody was. <laughs> and I was interested in starting to train for a 50 miler. Mm. And I thought I needed something to, you know, to incentivize me. And I happened to come across this yeah. right about the same time. Maybe it's serendipity 
who knows? And sure enough, I got hooked. And have you done a few marathons? Oh, yeah. And how many to date? I think it's four. I'm not nearly at the point where you are, but yes, four. So you started listening episode three. Can you remember any of those early episodes or... Oh, no, I remember a lot of, you know, you've always had good content, and that's one of the things that I like about the show. I appreciate it. Uh, But one of the things that really drew me in was uh, just the interaction between you and Angie. Mm -hmm. Uh, You guys kind of have this interesting banter about yourselves, Uh, and the professionalism was another thing that really tuned me in. Right from the onset, it sounded like a professionally developed podcast. I mentioned that we're sitting here in this beautiful conference room here where you work. Can you tell us really quick what you do for a living? I work for Carlisle Construction Materials. Uh, I'm responsible for our quality group here at uh, Carlisle Construction Materials. So I am mostly a desk jockey. Which I just learned is a huge uh, publicly traded company right here in our town. And it's over 100 years old. You just never know what's in your backyard, you know. Well, thank you for being a long time podcast listener since episode three and welcoming us to Carlisle as well when we first moved here and sending positive thoughts your way when it comes to the Harrisburg Marathon. I'm sure that you will uh, not be the last person to finish. I wouldn't be surprised. (laughs) A couple years ago, I was the last person. At the Harrisburg Marathon? Yes. They were closing the booth as I was coming in. See, there you go, folks. So even if you are the last person, it will be okay. (laughs) You're right. It doesn't matter. You survived, and your, your ego survived. Oh, I, my ego when it comes to running is not that large. <laughs> I'm more of a plotter. So people might think, maybe if they're new to this, they might think, all right, if you're finishing so slow and you're plotting, um, why, why keep doing it? So what keeps you in this crazy world of long-distance running? It's mostly for my health, but also I feel much more refreshed and, yeah. and better uh, when I'm consistently running. But why do races? I just do them just to keep me on my training. Yeah. To, it's more incentive. I don't really necessarily go out for races to achieve PRs or anything of that nature. It's just mm-hmm. a goal to keep me focused. Circling back for a second on the actual podcast listening habits, do you remember back in 2010 how you actually got a podcast I think back in those days, I didn't have an iPhone or a smartphone, so I was downloading and putting it on an iPod, which had to go through my computer. You remember that? Yes, I do. I go back farther than that, where I actually used to put them on a compact flash, things that I wanted to listen to, and put it into the slot of my little Windows CE PDA in order to listen to things. So I uh, wasn't even able to download things from the internet in the early, early days. Wow. Yeah, I had no idea what you just said there. <laughs> What is a Windows CE PDA? Uh, It's kind of like the old Palm Pilots, but Microsoft came out with a version that was their competitive product, and they called it Windows CE. I don't remember what the CE stood for. Yeah. Uh, And this is in the late 90s. Once again, Tim, thank you for being a longtime listener since episode three. Even before I ran my first half marathon, I was just a newbie back then. and uh, Yeah, I remember those days. (laughs) You were... quite frightened from the the whole concept at the time and yeah now today you're traveling all over the world doing all sorts of runs yeah well somebody once told me you have what it takes to run a marathon ah. <laughs> no yeah it's great 10 years there's so much that can change in 10 years so you guys just stay at it if if the marathon seems frightening at this point and it kind of should be because it's it's a long way to run and there's some wisdom to respecting the distance but if it seems frightening that's okay 
it, we all go through that same experience when we're starting out, and uh, it gets more manageable. You get your you get your head wrapped around it. You get out there, you run your first marathon. You're like, oh, that was terrible. Why did I do that? But when you cross the finish line, it's like, oh, maybe I maybe I can do it faster next time. And you start to plot and contemplate your next race. All right, well, I'll let you get back to your day. And uh, thanks again, Tim. Thank you. I'm speaking now with Fodi Panagakos, who is a longtime listener since the beginning. Fodi, how are you doing? Doing well, Trevor. How are things? Excellent. So, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where do you live and uh, what do you do for a living? Well, right now we're living in uh, Morgantown, West Virginia. I am a, um, I'm on the faculty at West Virginia University School of Dentistry. I'm serving as the Associate Dean for Research. Uh, my wife Judy and I moved down here a little over a year ago from New Jersey, where we pretty much grew up and lived. Uh, I grew up in the town and lived in the town that uh, I grew up in for for almost 30, 40 years, I would say, of my life. So uh, the kids were out of the house, and so we decided to take this opportunity and and see another part of the country. How many marathons are you up to now? I am stalled at 55. That's a huge number, though. It is. So dealing with a little injury at the moment. Yeah, I tore the lateral um, meniscus of my right knee. Typical of runners, I ignored the discomfort and decided I could, quote unquote, run through it. Haven't you learned anything of 10 years listening to our podcast? Yeah, well, I've I've also learned that most of us do this anyway, regardless (laughs) of what we listen to. (laughs) Yeah, I hear you. So uh, I've been working with Coach Steve, you know, since the uh, late spring signed up for coaching again after a hiatus after um, I had finished up coaching with Angie a few years ago. And so he said, we need to get this figured out. So I finally made the appointment and got the diagnosis. And um, since then, doing physical therapy, taking um, a turmeric supplement that my physical therapist put me on that has a higher bioavailability. So it seems to be controlling the inflammation a little better. That way you avoid taking Advil every day, you know, just to keep it under control. Yeah. And I just had a procedure called Visco supplementation where they inject a gel with hyaluronate into your into the knee capsule and it's supposed mm. to help support the knee and provide some some relief. So we'll see how that goes. So when you started listening to the podcast back in twenty ten, what was it that attracted you to the show? It it was just the way you guys, obviously, you got a great chemistry on the air, which I think having met you a few times and mm-hmm. spent time breaking bread after a couple of races, you can see that there's a chemistry there that is not just an on-air chemistry. And I think that's what makes your podcast a little bit different than others. And I listen to a few others that I enjoy uh, immensely, but yours from the beginning, because you were both you weren't even starting on your journey at that point. You were yeah, like right. sort of a resistant, reluctant follower. And Angie was the one who was starting. And I was just starting my journey. So I kind of identified with that. So I yeah. think it was just a combination of things. And you bring a variety of people on, obviously. Sometimes you're just talking about issues that runners have concerns about. And other times you're bringing in great guests that we can hear from as well. As a consumer of podcasts, what are some of the other shows that you listen to, if you can, if you can remember? From a running perspective, I listen to um, Breaking the Barrier. Right on, Andrew Lorenzo. 
Andrew's uh, podcast. And then the other one I listen to is uh, Run Run Live. Chris Russell. Chris Russell, yeah. Who's been podcasting longer than we have. I mean, I think he's still He has. He's been, he's been around for a long time, and he's kind of reinvented his podcast okay. a few times format-wise and stuff. And I kind of like the format. He kind of talks a little bit about what he's doing. Yeah. He usually has a guest on, and then he talks about you know some either personal development or business development because he's very into that as well. So hmm. I think it's a nice, a nice variety. And then, I mean, my other podcasts that I listen to um, on a daily basis, I'll listen to a couple of NPR-related news and uh, business podcasts. They're short. can kind of listen to them in the morning. Mm-hmm. I listen to uh, Dan Harris, 10% Happier. And you read that book last year, I think. Yeah, I'm, I, I enjoyed both of his books, and um, he brings in some really good good people as well. And then Freakonomics, This American Life, those are kind of for the car when Judy and I are heading somewhere just to play something. And then uh, Tom Bilyeu, I listen to his, not every show. And then also Peter Atia. I like listening to his health and wellness sort of podcast. I kind of relate to a lot of his perspective. So it's it's a variety. And then I have, you know, some business stuff that kind of creep in once in a while sure. that I, I'll do. So. so do you listen as soon as an episode drops or do you sort of save up and binge or kind of pick and choose which episodes based on the topics? Um, it all depends on the podcast. So all of the running related podcasts, I only listen to when I'm running. I struggle listening to a running podcast while I'm just sitting in the car. Uh-huh. For some reason, it just seems like I should be listening to it when I'm running. <laughs> and I usually listen to most podcasts on like one and a half speed. Oh, wow. I can, can still absorb it. And it's not like the voices get a little too squeaky for me. So, so you're listening to us on one and a half speed and we don't sound like chipmunks. Yeah, if I'm doing a long run and I want it to last, I'll do it at normal speed. If I'm doing a shorter run and I just want to kind of finish an episode, I I do it on a a faster speed. That's a neat uh, productivity hack. Well, thank you for giving us a little look at your podcasting habits. It's always curious to me as a lover of podcast as well as a podcaster, just what folks are listening to. And thank you for being a longtime listener and friend. Uh, you're somebody that Angie and I both look up to, and you've been a big blessing to us through the years. So, Well, thanks, you guys as well. It's been uh, it's been great knowing you, and I'm still waiting for you guys to come to West Virginia. I know. It's you should, you should, you know being as you're doing all these European challenging <laughs> marathons, you know, with hills and mountains, you know, we got a few hills in Morgantown, too. You got some gnarly hills in West Virginia. Yeah. That's all you yeah. have. Yeah. It's funny because when I go over to Oktoberfest in Germany, they love that West Virginia song by John Denver. Oh, yeah. Country Roads. Yeah, that's a tradition at the end of uh, each football game, home game. You sing it and the players go around the, the bottom of the stadium, win or lose, and they'll greet the fans. And oh, it's pretty cool. cool. Well, thanks for taking time to talk to me today, Fody. And uh, My pleasure. Thanks for being a longtime listener. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode. That conversation was a couple months ago, so the good news is Fody's knee is doing better. It sounds like he's targeting the Pittsburgh Marathon in May. We just appreciate all of you tuning in to the podcast, whether you just found us or you've been listening for years. It's great to be on this journey with you. And if you enjoy the show, please share it. You'd be surprised how many people have found us just by word of mouth. And also, if you can take a moment and leave us a five-star review on iTunes, it really does help us in the rankings on iTunes. 
iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps other people find us. And if we can be of any help to you in your running journey, reach out. We've got a contact form on our website. Love to hear from you. And you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Marathon Academy. That's it for this episode. I'll leave you with this final thought. You have what it takes to run a marathon and change your life. Right on my way, right on my-